He's like the manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. And I'm Abby. And this week's movie is Iron Man. I always do that because I always feel like when I say the name of the movie, I need to have a reaction immediately afterwards. So I do a stupid little woot thing, which annoys the hell out of me every time I do it. Yeah, Stuff we kind of leave it hanging. I noticed that <laughs> after, after we say the thing, we sort of leave it hanging and then we're like, wow, we have to come up with something like Iron Man, which is exciting because... The thing is, I, I think it's completely fine for us to just leave it, but it's like that awkward silence, you know, when you don't know someone really well and you're like, I should say something. I should say something. <laughs> In the beginning, we said... But first, how are you? But then we drop that and then we just hang in silence. Hang, yeah. We just just let it just let it sit. We should just let people sit in the name of the movie for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, don't why are we so afraid of silence? I don't know. (laughs) It's not the best thing for a podcast though, you'd have to admit. Well, yeah. (laughs) There's there's a limit to the amount of silence we could include. Yeah. But it's the first, we're back from our holidays. This is actually we the first are. one. Yes. Because we did, so Contact was the last uh, main episode, but we did record that before Christmas. And here we are in actual 2021. Are things different for you, Frida? Is this a new year, a new dawn, a new day? <laughs> we've just discussed our, <laughs> we've discussed our disgust for people that say, thank God 2020 is over. <laughs> Here's to 2021. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. the 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 day ticked over to the next day. But do you yeah. have? Do you, uh, can I? I don't know. Like, can you share your news with everybody? <laughs> what 2021 brought me? Yeah. <laughs> the very beginning of 2021. The first thing that happened. I got coronavirus. Yep. Coronavirus. COVID. COVID nineteen. That was me flicking what? my wine glass. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like pants. <laughs> totally just feel like pants. You feel like um, pants? Like pants, yeah. I don't know. I've decided that that's what it's called, what I'm terming it. Just feel like pants. Is that, Is you, that like you a British that way? Australia? No. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I'm sure I've heard it. This is not a me thing. I've definitely heard this somewhere. First, I thought you were saying, I feel like pence. Mike, like, I feel like Mike Pence. Oh, God. I don't even know how to respond to that. Me neither. We can't do that. We can't talk about America. We have to let no, them know. We're no. going to talk about it in a minute, but we can't talk oh, yeah. about it in those, in those terms. Only in general terms. We have to just let that one alone. I am pumped about this episode. I'm pumped that we're back. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, but if my voice doesn't relay those emotions, I do apologize. I am trying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, right. Iron Man. Summary. Genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, Tony Stark is living his best life on the military's dime. He's a man on a mission 
but the mission is to take nothing seriously and grandstand at every opportunity. Inheriting his company from Daddy Dearest Howard Stark, part responsible for the birth of Captain America, Tony has grown the company into a weapons powerhouse, along with his dad's best pal, Obadiah Stane. Believing in the importance of weapons defence for the safety and security of the United States, Tony is on a roadshow through a war zone, where he spills his drink and his world comes crashing down. Injured while being captured by some super tropey bad guys, he's held prisoner in a cave alongside the brilliant engineer-slash-physicist Ho Yinsen, who creates a way to keep the shrapnel from shredding his heart, allowing Tony to become part Borg. Amid a budding bromance, they come up with a plan. Build a metal suit of armour and bust their way out. But first things first, they must successfully miniaturise nuclear fusion in a cave. And now that that's out of the way, on with the escape plan. Unfortunately, this is a superhero movie and a sacrifice is required in order for the hero to find his moral compass and open the gates to redemption. And so, Ho Yinsen gives his life for the spark of good he sees in Stark and sets the way for the creation of a hero. The rest of the movie is the standard hero setup. There's a real bad guy close to home, some engineering advancements and some implied romance. We have setbacks, betrayals and a city-destructing showdown. The action scenes are here for the smashy bang-bang fun, but ultimately what's important is that the selfish man of privilege sees the world beyond his castle and decides to use his brain and many, many dollars for good instead of funsies. Iron Man is born and the redemption (laughs) begins. I like the funsies. I like the funsies. <laughs> instead, of, instead of funsies. <laughs> that's, a, that's what we all use our dollars for, right? Funsies. <laughs> no. Oh, God, if we had Stark dollars, what? I had some um, Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe education today. I want to tell you. Somebody educated me on the, like, the background and the history of the Marvel C- Cinematic Universe and the, the like rights to Spider-Man and the X-Men and mm. how that was different and then why and what happened with the Hulk and what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And now I just <laughs> want to tell you, I just want to tell you that I know okay. now, that I know now I've like been, t- I know now. Okay, it's, cool. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's very interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I went. This is our second movie in the Marvel journey of wonder. I know that, so, and I know you've seen Iron Man a few times before, and I know that you have opinions on Tony Stark as a character, and we will get to him later. But in general, what what's your what's your movie feeling thoughts? Just just in the general idea of the movie. It's really funny because there's my general thing is like that Iron Man is really fun, really great, and I really like it. But it's funny because when I um like watch it for the podcast and start becoming analytical. Um, I stopped just accepting it as just fun and start looking more deeply into it. And then, so actually then I watched it again. I actually watched it another time just because I was like, the second time I was like, or or like the the first podcast time I was like, started to get all these problems with it. And then I had to watch it again just to get back to the original point of like, it's such, it's very fun and charming. So um, definitely like, I can give you all the minutiae of my opinions in, throughout the episode, but on the whole, like <laughs> it's brilliant uh, resurrection of this <clears throat> of the superhero film genre and Robert Downey Jr. career. True. Yeah. That's that's the thing that 
that's kind of one of my feelings on it as well is that when when the movie came out like style wise in terms of like the cinematography the graphics the tone the way everything was laid out in this movie was so different to any other superhero movie that we'd had before and i think that's why people really got on board with it but mostly for me it was always the ending that moment i am iron man it's like oh we're not doing secret identities Mm. here it was so refreshing. It was yeah. like, okay, there's this whole new idea now of how the stories can play out yeah. and how it can be approached without that constant thing that I get really sick of in superhero movies where it's like, oh no, they've almost caught me. Half of the movie is them trying to hide from the people who know them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that gets boring because it's impossible to really hide. It's like half the Spider-Man movie was about will she find out, will she not find out, what happens when yeah. she finds out. And it's also, it's like, it's impossible that you could hide yeah. that. It's it's unbelievable and it's like, it's boring. So I agree with you. So we did Captain America as the first one because timeline in terms of the MCU, that's the first story that happens. But Iron Man was the first movie that Marvel Studios ever made. Yeah. I, I would expect most people would know, but John Favreau plays happy in the movie. But Favreau is also, he directed the movie. He's producer he's executive he directs iron man 2 he's executive producer on the four avengers movies he is the one who cast robert downey jr and he is the one who set the entire tone for where marvel studios would go with these movies and there's some fantastic documentaries that you can watch all just about how they when they were making this there's this great interview and it's in post-production and John Favreau's there and they're doing like all the editing and stuff. And he's talking about basically just how nervous he is. He's like, this is either going to completely flop, it'll either take off and we'll be able to make more movies or it'll just be a thing that just happened and it'll be okay and I'll just go on with my career and do other stuff. And looking at it now... To think that they had those thoughts when they were first making it, that there was a risk in casting Robert Downey Jr., that there was yeah. a risk in everything they were doing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it's now dominating the majority of pop culture, it feels like, the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe. Um, John Favreau, yeah, because I saw his face, and so I'm like, who is that actor? I've seen, he's in so many things. He's in, like, Adam Sandler movies too, isn't he? must be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, good for him. It did pay off, didn't I love it? it. Wowzers. Um, are there any specific scenes and stuff in the movie that you particularly enjoyed or liked or I think the the best part about this movie is the all the scenes between characters like there's lots of mm-hmm. scenes between two characters whether it's all the ones in the beginning between the two of them making the suit whether it's Pepper Potts and Iron Man you know she's taking the thing out of his chest or their little um, their little squabbles their little scenes that they have together, um, even the, you know, the little conversations with the TV, with with the news reporter. I think that all, I, that's the best part of the movie for me. It's just all the little bits between whichever two people is the best part of the movie. Um, on the whole, that's a general comment. How about you? That, oh, that's, it's interesting that you say that because I think one of the main reasons why Iron Man was so successful and why MCU in general is so successful because... It's the first time really with superhero movies where 
it became about the characters and I think that's what people buy into they're also just great performances like the actors yeah. know what they're doing and they do a lot with the words that they're given as well it's just like it's they've got a lot of humor but yeah. you know what it makes it makes our job really hard because if the strength of the movie is the character moments and we take for granted the rest of it it becomes a big challenge to dive in there and sort of analyze those bigger themes that for mm. me aren't necessarily what's good about it What's good about it is that Robert Downey Jr. is just fantastic to watch and everybody that plays against him is uh, good to watch as well. So Yeah. Well, look, I mean, (laughs) we don't have to tear it apart, but, like, there's going to be some tropes and I'm pretty sure you're going to have found something that you want to talk about. So do you want a trope of the week? Should I start? I think, yeah, go for it. Do start, please. I actually had so I had a lot of candidates. I wrote a lot of things down, <laughs> of and then I settled on my trope. Okay, well, and it was actually this the the <laughs> viewing that I watched like again right before we recorded. I watched it again, and this is the trope: too much of a man for the hospital trope. When somebody's like too much of a man to go to the fucking hospital, <laughs> when he's like injured and they 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 bring him the stretcher and he's like get that thing out of here and then they're in the car and Pepper's like go to the hospital he's like I'll go to the hospital I want an American cheeseburger so that's my trope is the too much of a man for the hospital trope oh I can't hear you I can't hear oh, you oh sorry 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 ah. I have my microphone muted muted I was muted I, I was basically saying they <laughs> no. were just silent <laughs> not responding I was saying that um, if I had been captured and I came home, I would probably want a cheeseburger before anything else as well. So, you know. And then the hospital. Yeah. Be be looked over. Be cared for. Be cared yeah. for. Okay, that's true. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but American cheeseburgers, I mean, they're not. Have you had one? Sorry. <laughs> well, I like a Five Guys cheeseburger. I like smoking pickles. That smoking pickles cheeseburger. Or just okay. burgers in general. That's a plug. Smoking pickles in Melbourne. Get your burgers there today. <laughs> Are you being paid? No, not yet, but uh, I'm open to it. Amazing. <laughs> what was your trope of the week? Oh, God. Okay, my trope is, um, I'm not sure if this is the right way to say this or if this is even a thing. I don't <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore, guys. I'm sorry. I'm really trying. I'm breaking. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here. See-through computer screens. Because they confuse me. Oh, yeah. I don't understand how this works. Like, does the background... Is there some sort of material in the background that, like, blocks out things that are behind the see-through so you can see what's actually on the screen? Or, like... I don't know, the the touchscreen holograms? Like, how do you touch the... Ho- how is it sensing the motion and things? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's But it's it's like that whole thing, you know, like physicists drawing glass walls and windows. Yeah. Which, you know, can look cool, but it's not really beneficial when you actually need to see the yeah. stuff that's on it. Yeah. I don't know. That- I just feel like if my screen right now was see-through, I wouldn't be able to see what was on the screen. No. So I'm confused by how this works. <laughs> That bullshit started with Minority Report and you know it. We all know it. That's what started it. You, do you know when you said that you like see through computer screens, is it some kind of technology? It reminds me of like in the Bible 
um, the tablets. <laughs> okay. This is a thing, okay? So the tablets yeah. made of sapphire were engraved the Ten Commandments and the engraving Ugh. went all the way through to the other side, but for some reason, magically, what? the other side... It's Yeah, it was engraved in the Ten Commandments all the way to the other side, but on the other side, it was the correct way, not the reverse way. That was like one of the miracles uh. of the two tablets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like what you're sapphire. saying. Sapphire. <laughs> that's they're, amazing. They're, they're for sapphire, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's like a miracle is that like when it went through, it was like the other side, it wasn't reverse. Similarly... Uh, see-through computer screens on Iron Man is a miracle because, um, you know, it's not like reversed on the other side. It's just correct and it works. So it's, it's probably it's a the, wonder. It's the same technology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now drunk already. Wait, Let's get okay, moving, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta yolla, yolla, yolla. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need Frida drunk talking about Marvel. This is not a good We don't need Frida drunk and pulling out biblical references. We're like definitely... 20 minutes in, man. I know. <laughs> All right, okay. Science as a theme, then. Let's move straight through from our tropes. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the environment first. There's okay. a couple of things going on here. We've had plenty of movies that have military involvement. And I mean, Captain America himself was a weapon. But here we're talking a bit more about actual defense contracts where the government is getting their weapons from industry. So we're talking about companies actually, I think what the correct term is, is war profiteering. Defense is a huge thing. And I get that. And it's actually really interesting in terms of since the development of nuclear weapons and the MAD doctrine. When I say MAD doctrine, do you know what I mean? No. What is the MAD doctrine? It's the MAD, MAD doctrine is the mutually assured destruction oh, yes, doctrine. Yes. It's just interesting because I was reading a book recently on lasers and the idea of developing laser weapons. And a lot of that technology was funded by military contracts and we're talking like insane level of funding I mean like the budgets were mind-blowing because it was all about can we develop technology that can destroy a ballistic missile after it's been launched yeah I just think that it's when I see movies like this I think it's like super extravagant you know it's like he's there with his Jericho and that opening scene with the mountains behind him and it's like that's a bit much, isn't it? And then when you actually read into these types of contracts and the types of research that goes on and the budgets that are put into these research, it's just, I don't actually think that these movies are extravagant enough. Oh, uh, yeah? goes on. Yeah. No, you think yeah. it's worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. H- have you, I mean, have you heard the, the term the military industrial complex? Ooh, no. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of what you're explaining. It's, um, I think Eisenhower coined it, it was sort of, during the Cold War, where, um, the, you know, sort of the arms race kind of led to the nexus of private interests and national defense. So basically, um, you know, contracting um, private companies to build weapons. And, and because of right. that, arms manufacturers like Tony Stark end up influencing the like military spending and budgets. And eventually it kind of leads to arms manufacturers being able to make decisions or influencing decisions about war um and and you know whether we whether we're going to be at war or not or remain at war wow um and then i guess these days since since the cold war it's grown so far beyond just weapons 
um, that is contracted out. I mean, so like national when, and after nine eleven, national security also became contracted out. It's really oh. wild, yeah. Like the the degree that industry impacts um, the military and just the the level of peace that uh, the U.S. remains at. It's wild. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's true. Like they kind of like the scene where he blows up the Jericho thing. He says, you know, I like the weapons. You only have to fire once. That's how dad did it. That's how we did it. And it works pretty well. And I'm like, that's a little bit. I mean, I know that's before he's like um, mea culpa. Mm. So I guess yeah. I'll excuse it. But I mean, it's a little bit. That's a little bit shameless. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about but that. But that's the thing. I guess like his whole persona at that point in time is very like, He's so wrapped up in this kind of arrogance that there's no real understanding of what it does. Yeah. And no innocent people are affected by this process kind yeah. of thing. I yeah. think he I think we all do it. It's it's wrapped up in your privilege. Mm-hmm. And it's only when something actually affects you personally you start to go, "Oh, this isn't right." Yeah, well, yeah, he said believing the stories of like, I'm protecting the weak, I'm upholding America, I'm upholding freedom. And then obviously his mm. bubble is kind of popped when he realizes maybe that isn't actually what he's doing. Yeah. Mm. But that's, and that, so that's the thing. So like most of the, most of the kind of environment here is this idea that like, that's what his company is. His company has um, military contracts for developing weapon systems for the use in defense but the main kind of environment in terms of the science environment that is like a fucking billionaire engineer's wet dream is tony stark's home workshop <laughs> yeah if you can what call did it you that. think of this i mean whatever i was like i mean it's like magic like you mentioned the hologram and sticking his hand in and testing it out and yeah. and see through computers and hol- holographic keyboards or whatever it was, you know, where he sweeps in. And it's really fun and it's loads of montages and like I don't want to – I love yeah. the robot. I love the little robot. Yeah. Doesn't match Dummy. up to the robots from a couple of months ago that we talked about. But I love – I love – I did love the little robot, the little <laughs> – it's me and Jim's yeah. robot. I mean, do we, do, uh, so it's, do we go into it too much? Because it's well, it's good. That's why it. I think that like the dummy robot is amazing because yeah. it's it's another interaction, and that like just what's great yeah. about Robert Downey Jr. is that another moment where it's like he's it's not even a character, but he can still create that reaction of an in, of an exchange between the two of them that just makes us all kind of giggle or mm. makes us feel some weird like affection affectionate emotion towards the robot arm <laughs> but at the same time i believe the environment yeah i believe that someone with that amount of money would have that type of a workshop mm. oh yeah would you have a workshop like that if you could uh, uh, me no no but i know people that would if they could and um absolutely would spend all their time making super super cool stuff and i do know people that make incredible incredible stuff that i i i don't find it so hard to suspend my disbelief about whether or not someone with that much money and who enjoyed it that much would have something like that and make things like that 
I think people yeah. make people make ridiculously cool things, especially when they have no budget and especially when they're just prototyping, basically. And they don't have to worry about productionizing. They can just make crazy shit. People do. People are like that. I'd love to be one of those people, but I don't have the time or the money, so I'm not. <laughs> I just no. Most of the time, a lot of those things are purely about budget. Yeah. <laughs> what can we do with the money we've got? So... Yes. Well, speaking of money, um, let's just uh, segue a little bit into some of the cast because I kind of wanted to talk about them here because it's just interesting how they connect in this realm of like industry research, but with the the genius guy scientist and Obadiah Stane is the kind of first person I want to bring up because the backstory is that Obadiah Stane was Howard Stark's friend and they set up Stark Industries together and I was curious about Obadiah in terms of like was he a scientist was he no he's just a businessman he's a businessman who set up the company with Stark so I guess Howard was the engineering brain and Obadiah was the business brain um and how do you feel about or Jeff Bridges it's a great name Obadiah Stone it's good yeah, that come up right? with that uh, it's a great bad guy name and he's a great... I love Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Jeff Bridges fan right here. He's a great bad guy. He's just got such a boobing voice. But you yeah. know what's really funny? It's like right at the beginning of the movie where they're like, Tony Stark, the child of Howard Stark. And then they're yeah. like, then Howard Stark dies. And Obadiah Stane takes over. And then you see a picture of him like standing on a little globe. Yeah. And then... The prodigal son returns, and now they're partners. And then you see Obadiah Stane with a look on his face. That's kind of like, oh, I'm not the bad guy in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's fine. I ran the company for years, and now a little jumped-up kid came and took it over. It's all fine. (laughs) Don't watch me. I'm just a side character. <laughs> I think he's yeah, great. He's like this big brassy guy, the cigar. Yeah. He's so imposing. Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's like terrifying dad. Yeah. I think it yeah. works with the suit that he makes as well, the ironmonger because like it's this whole idea that like it shows the difference between the the kind of step on everyone to get what he wants businessman idea versus the Stark engineer scientist idea. Like Stark is concerned about streamlining, you know, thinking out the design, making it more efficient and effective. And Obadiah is like, make it big. Boom, 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 boom. (laughs) Make it bigger and make it cause damage. And And it's so perfectly encapsulated in that one line that Pepper Potts has when they see the smaller version of it. And she just says, I thought it would be bigger. Ah, yeah, totally. Okay, well, <laughs> well, Pepper, um, for this movie anyway, uh, we is limited to Stark's assistant and potential love interest. But in terms of the actual scientists that we have going on in this movie, there is, well, there are two, to be fair, but there's really only one, and it is the Tony Stark. So in terms of, I mean, we've talked quite a bit about him now and and the kind of environment of him in terms of having money and genius. But as an actual scientist, how do you feel? What's your thoughts and feelings on Stark himself? 
I'm really mixed. I'm really mixed on him actually because he's supposed to be a huge dickhead, and so he is one. But his whole like opulence yeah. and the wealth porn and <laughs> it's a little wealth porn. Yeah, I mean whatever. What can I say? Like Robert Downey Jr. pulls it off. Yeah, as a treat. And he's really charming. I don't like the way he treats all the women around him, his entitlement. I don't like the way they people act towards him. I don't like the way, like, because he is who he is, he gets everything he wants, and that includes all the women he wants because, as we know, women are objects and things to have. That that just pissed me off about him, but, like, that's just 2008. I guess maybe things have changed. But in terms of him and his, well, especially the scenes in the desert, the scenes of him working on the thing because it's a little bit more mechanical and it's less like with the magic yeah. of the of the computers that he has there, it was like a it's a pleasure to watch him work. It really is. From from the very start, he works with his hands. He likes to tinker with his projects. Yeah. He likes to develop his prototypes himself and see how things work and understand how things work. Yeah, and that's what makes him. And that, and that's what I do like about his character. I like the iterations. I like the, you know, the test scenes, the I'm going to try this thing or, you know, we've got Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3. We've got like, you know, he he has his prototypes. He has his. Um... Yeah, prototyping, testing, trial and error, although then kind of skips it. He like he does a little bit and then and then suddenly it's all done. Bang, here's the suit. <laughs> yeah. And when it's he's like, like here's what you want now. <laughs> I like the red. Great. Render it. See you later. Bye. Yeah. But yeah, I like the beginning part was really fun. And because you even yeah. saw, you know, him like programming, I guess, the, the processing chip, you know, um, putting all, you know, all the little details of what they were doing. You saw so much at the beginning. So that was really fun. Yeah. I could have watched that for longer. It was fun. I do. That's the thing. That's what I I enjoy. All those little. I like. I enjoy the mechanical scenes. I enjoy the you know the little, all the equipment and machinery putting yeah, it together. Too. And I always enjoy that in all the movies going forward as well. Yeah. Every time, like he puts the suit on and the different ways that it can be activated and stuff. I just think it's kind of yeah. cool. Um, I like it. You know, it's totally nerdy. It's great. Yeah. Uh, there's only one other scientist in the movie. Jensen. And it's not, yeah, it's not very clear who Yinsen is. So Yinsen is a character from the original comic books, from the original Iron Man story. The whole setup is pretty much the same. But in the original comics, Ho Yinsen is a Nobel Award winning physicist. He also appears to be an engineer and he also appears to have some concept of medical science in some sort of way. <laughs> so he's an all around genius. But I think that's what the point is. I think the reason Yinsen is there is that Yinsen is the the Howard Stark of uh, Howard, sorry, the Tony Stark of the region. He's like the manic pixie dream boy. <laughs> Basically, it's a manic Stark. pixie dream boy. Like he he just turns up to like make the Tony see that he needs to change his ways, and then he dies, and so Tony can move on. Yeah. He's like he's like he's like Jack from Titanic. He's just there for the character to realize some things, key things, and then I'm gonna die. You know, he's the sacrificial lamb for the superhero development. It's yeah. classic. There's always a sacrifice. Well, Yinsen is vitally important um, as we move into the science section because Yinsen is, as we know, the reason Tony is alive. So in terms of the science section here, this is uh, this, this for me was like, oh, my God, there's so much that we could talk about. 
one thing that I want to say now that we're not going to get into, and that's Jarvis. Okay. Because many fans of MCU will know there is a movie upcoming where it is very, very Jarvis-centered. So I just think we should just keep... I'm trying to keep each discussion to like the main kind of theme idea behind what's going on in that movie and um, we can always build on all of this stuff which is what I love about what we're doing with this podcast. We always get to build on topics but what we're going to focus on for the most part here is what is going on with the arc reactor and we'll talk a bit about exoskeletons in terms of what we're doing research-wise for suits. So to start us off we are talking about the the initial setup, the, the creation, the reason that this movie happened, the reason of Iron Man's entire existence is Tony gets injured and captured. When he is injured, he gets some shrapnel into his chest and Jensen comes up with a super duper idea of creating a little electromagnet to stop the shrapnel from shredding Tony's heart. I'm going to talk about the arc reactor in a minute, but before we get there, should we talk a little bit about what is actually happening here in terms of this um, implant that Tony now has that is apparently keeping mm. him alive? Well, I mean, it's like what you said. It's, you know, we'll just take it at face value. The electromagnet keeps the shrapnel from his heart. But what I was interested in, and I'm not going to, I don't care to make a criticism of that at all. I just want to bring a bit of attention to, you know, if you do implant something in the body, you there are things that do need to be considered because there are a lot of risks yeah. associated with implanting foreign things in the body that might cause it to fail like pretty quickly. Uh, I just, I just wanted to bring some of those up because I'm sure like a lot of this was happening because it's in the desert. They don't have access to proper surgery. So they have to like do this makeshift stuff. So eventually it can get solved. But so I just thought it was just an interesting point to talk about um, when you put non-organic tissue inside somebody implants and whatnot near the heart especially like we have heart valves and everything that there's a risk of because you have non-organic tissue the blood is very likely to clot on the surface of that actually oh and yeah and so and so it can actually cause blood clots to form and the, so the the pieces like it will clot on the pieces and it can tear blood cells as they p- pass through or whatever it is pass it and it just it can cause blood clots and it can lead to you know heart attacks whatever oh, it is wow. um or strokes um or pulmonary emboli whatever like that so that's one of them that's the non-organic tissue risk clotting but the other thing is that metal causes it rusts it's and oh, especially because the body has i mean there's saline in the body and saline is especially corrosive to metals and also the body fluids are it's more complicated because there's a proton concentration and it's an ionic composition and so it's just so complicated actually about how to prepare it's not even just what is the metal alloy uh, concentrate um what is the metal alloy made up of but also like how you fabricate a metal um, will impact how corrosive it is um, and so these, all of these things have to be taken into consideration so they don't actually corrode inside the body. That's, cool. I just wanted to point out those really interesting things. And the last thing is that, um, that there's a big parallel, I think, to pacemakers. 
Like yeah. it's a very similar idea. That's what like I was wondering about because I don't really know anything about that. So when you were saying it, I was like, oh, is it like, yeah, pacemakers type Pacemakers, vibe. yeah. Like a big traumatic near-death event leads to implant to keep the heart from failing. Right. That's what a pacemaker is. That's all I wanted right. to say yeah. on it. No, that's really cool. Thank you yeah. for that. That's um, Yeah, what you're saying about like the kind of potential for how these things function in your body and such. And one of the setbacks with this device that has been made in the cave is that obviously the electromagnet needs a power source and that power source um, is a car battery, which is of course not very portable, uh, a little bit, you know, heavy to be lugging around the place. And I guess a lot of wires coming out of your body is not going to be helpful. So there needs to be a solution to this. Luckily, so the story goes in superhero land or, you know, Marvel Universe, is that Howard Stark, Tony's dad, did something that many scientists have been trying to do for years. He created a fully functioning arc reactor, which is a highly efficient energy source. Do you know what I mean when I say arc reactor? I mean... I have no idea. I have not looked into it at all. Okay. I'm waiting for an explanation. Okay. <laughs> So uh, let's just break down the term arc reactor first off. A reactor is just a general term for a device that can produce power through nuclear fusion or fission. And arc is probably a reference to an electric arc, which occurs when there is an electrical breakdown of gas producing an electrical discharge with the current through air and generating a plasma that gives off visible light. So the arc is the part that we see in terms of the light and the reactor is the device housing the nuclear fusion process that generates the power. Do you know much about nuclear fusion and the and like what's kind of happening in terms of us being able to generate nuclear fusion? I think I actually remember something from when we did the research for Moon, which would have been the last time I thought about it, that there's major issues with the amount of heatage that has to be generated or the amount of power that has to be generated just to do the reaction. I, th- I think I remember that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty it? accurate. It's potential as a clean energy source makes it very enticing to researchers, especially as the world starts to pay more attention to climate change. And this is because the fusion process doesn't produce any greenhouse gas emissions and the radiological waste is really minimal. So it makes it a very safe, high energy source that has the potential to be self-sustaining. And the science hmm. of it all is bla- is based around plasma physics and the reactions that happen in the heart of our star, the sun. So the thing about chemical reactions is that it involves energy. But sometimes okay. energy goes in and sometimes energy comes mm-hmm. out. So if you have heavy, like I'm saying heavy in inverted commas, atoms fusing to create a light atom, then the excess mass is shed as energy. And this is pretty much what happens in the sun. So it sounds really simple, but replicating the process on Earth is hella hard because the reason that fusion can occur in the sun is really down to a few factors, temperature, pressure and confinement. Starting with temperature, as you mentioned, to get atoms in the state that they need to be in for a fusion cycle, they have to be subjected to extreme temperature. And that will cause yeah. electrons to be stripped from the hydrogen nuclei and protons can whiz around freely. So this is our plasma. But how do you get them to fuse? You need pressure. There are fundamental rules of physics that describe how atoms interact with each other. One consideration here is we're talking about the Coulomb barrier. 
and this is related to the repulsive forces of the atoms. As the two protons would get closer to each other, they're both positively charged, so they repel each other. So you need to apply extreme pressures to squeeze them together past the Coulomb barrier until the strong nuclear force takes over as the dominant force, and then that will pull them together and cause them to fuse. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So then how do you confine a system like that? You've got like a raging hot plasma of atoms that exists under extreme pressure. It's, you know, I mean, that's what our sun is doing. It's what it, it's a giant ball of fire um, or a giant ball of hot gas confined under serious gravitational forces that provide the intense pressure at the core where the temperatures are so high that the plasma is happily existing and allowing the fusion cycle to go along and just repeat itself. And that's our sun is self-sustaining It just because yeah. there's so much material there. We don't have the ability to do that on Earth right now. But it's not a kind of a question of if we can do it. It's more likely a question of when will it happen. Okay. Because there's many advancements that have already been made. We can reach those temperatures. It might sound crazy, but 100 million degrees Celsius. We can do that. Jesus. We can reach temperatures like that. The plasma can be put under enough pressure that can cause fusion to occur. This, this happens. You might kind of think like, how? How can you get those pressures? Like what kind of material could possibly withstand that? Well, yeah. I think this was like the biggest issue for fusion for many years was like the confinement. It's like, fine, if we can get to the temperature, how the hell do you confine it? There's two methods. There's inertial confinement. First of all, this one, this is mad. I, I don't know a huge amount about this, but like it's hundreds of lasers focusing on a single point and at that single point is a pellet of hydrogen isotopes. The power from the laser beams heat them until they produce X-rays. And then the radiation coupled with the heat turns it into a plasma and all the pressure is compressing the atoms until fusion occurs. It's incredibly cool. I just can't imagine. <laughs> it's mental. How? Yeah, it's totally mental. I mean, it's really cool, but it's like. How can you do that as like energy supply? Right. Yeah. Continuous that, supply. I know it, so, it sounds bonkers. The main method, I think, is what brings us more into the whole Iron Man realm. And this is magnetic confinement. What happens here is that they use particle accelerators. Aha. Aha. They use particle <laughs> accelerators to heat um, a steam of hydrogen gas. The heating turns it into a plasma. And then they use superconducting magnets to squeeze it under pressure, so to provide the pressure to force the fusion. And one of the most common shapes for a reactor, this is something, and this is, here we go with another acronym for you. It's a tokamak, a toroidal chamber with an axial magnetic field. A toroidal chamber. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily lead into tokamak, but it is a Russian acronym. So I don't know what it is in Russian. So I trust the acronym. (laughs) Uh, Basically, the (laughs) shit. You let us down. (laughs) You should have come here with the Russian. I have coronavirus. (laughs) So it's Um, a toroid and the axial magnetic field. Okay. Basically, it's shaped like a donut. It's a donut, Um, baby. It's a donut. It's a vacuum chamber that is shaped like a donut and it holds the plasma and powerful magnets then confine and steer it until fusion occurs. It's fine. Which is fine because, like, if you think about Iron Man's thing, like, that's, you know, it looks like that. 
But so that he has that you still have to generate all of that heat needed to keep well fusion. So this is the yeah. yes, this is the problem. So in terms of us doing nuclear fusion, like it's it's as you said, we haven't re- yet reached the point of energy production. So current setups take in more energy than they give out. To be practical, you need a frequency of collisions that will get you a high fusion rate. So it's not just about reaching the temperatures. You have to be able to keep the plasma at the temperature long enough to get useful energy production. So you can ignite the fusion process, but it's not enough to ignite it so that the fusion then becomes self-sustaining. Yes, it's great. Great stuff. Well, I just thought that was really interesting in terms of nuclear fusion. So I did this whole stuff on nuclear fusion, right? And then I kind of realized what you were saying about the heat thing. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, well, what exactly are they saying is happening? And I did find some stuff that suggests that it's on a slightly more pseudoscientific realm. Really? So we're talking fusion, but we're talking about this idea of cold fusion. Okay. What is that? So cold, cold fusion is the proposal that you can achieve all of this. At room temperature. Oh, that makes sense because otherwise his chest would burn. He would be dead. That was going to be my question. Yeah. So a couple of scientists claimed to have achieved cold fusion around 30 years ago. Remember when we talked Ghostbusters and John B. Ryan? Like it's kind of in that realm. They said that they did this 30 years ago, but like no one has ever been able to replicate their results. So it's like... This idea is there that under certain circumstances there is the potential to achieve cold fusion, but like no one can actually really see how you could make that happen. But Google have actually funded research into cold fusion. Like there's some eyebrows raised about what about it, but they're like, look, if it's if it could be a thing, it could be a thing. So we're gonna check out if it could be a thing. Yeah, if I was a billionaire, I would just fund as many of these weird projects as I possibly could on the off chance that one of them could be a thing. Yeah. yeah. Just... Well, because every science, I guess, was weird at some point. Too true, too true. <laughs> but as you said, like it does, it makes a lot more sense for the idea of what's actually happening in Iron Man if it, if it was through cold fusion, because in mm. Marvel Land, the... So what they're saying, the fusion is what they're saying is that they are achieving fusion through the ionization of palladium, which is thought to have hydrogen absorbing properties, which could promote fusion reactions at room temperature. So then, yeah, he's not being burned alive by all the heat being generated by a nuclear reactor at his heart or in his chest. But he would be burnt alive by all the fire that he starts around him when he escapes with the suit because he would probably (laughs) boil in his suit. (laughs) Oh no, stop. He would boil it in the suit and he should be dead in the suit many times over. Admit it. Yeah. We enjoy watching. Exactly. <laughs> Let's not try to pretend that it's grounded in real life at well, all. Well, yeah, no, I mean it's not it's obviously not reality, but it's one of those things that I find fascinating where it's it's the same as what we did when we talked about Captain America and the epigenetic um modification is that know what the Iron Man suit is is not currently achievable but it's not that people aren't trying to do it because they are trying (laughs) it's a for real attempt 
So let's talk about the suit, but in our land, not superhero Marvel Cinematic Universe land, um, where we are in the development process and what the limitations are when you don't have CG wires and stuntmen. The basic frame, as we've mentioned, we are talking about an exoskeleton, which is just essentially a skeleton external to the human body that you're able to manipulate and control in some way with the goal of enhancing your own physical capabilities. Now, the idea of an exoskeleton has actually been knocking around for years. I mean, like, there is a proposal dating back to around 1883. Oh, really? Yeah. Which had the suggestion of a pneumatically actuated lower limb frame that could be controlled via neural impulses from the brain. Oh, that's awesome. Sounds bug. Can you imagine? Can you imagine fucking throwing that out there in the 1800s? Hey, let's use your brain to control a thing that's going to make you move. It's kind of reminding me about how these days artificial limbs can be controlled by the brain. Like that part of it is super real that people, artificial limbs aren't anymore just stuff to stand on. They, they actually can work well that's the thing it's i think it's it's a classic thing that we do with when we talk about certain things in movies it's like time scales and abilities that happen in movies like it, everything happens a lot faster you know but it, it's not that we're not interested in trying to achieve these things it's just that the time scales for us achieving them it's just a lot longer because the technology's not there yet so this idea happened came about in like the late 1800s and then real development started in like the 60s. Wow. Um, the first functioning one gave the user 25 times their natural lifting capacity. That sounds good, right? Hey. Yeah, it weighed like 680 kg. <laughs> so okay. wasn't exactly like lift off capacity. <laughs> but, but it gave them super strength. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, I mean, as as we expect, the first stages of investigation into something like this are for military applications, as expected. But nowadays, the majority of developments are in medical applications for upper and lower limb rehabilitation, especially relating to stroke survivors. Uh. So the use of an exoskeleton to help in the recovery of someone who has limited mobility is one thing, but in the movie, and as well as military and industrial research, we're talking about augmenting someone's strength and agility to improve external applications, like walk for longer or lift heavier things. Now, do you remember in Captain America when we talked about how the military on both sides used amphetamines and methamphetamines to enhance soldiers' abilities? Yeah, sure do. Yeah. Just keeping them like awake longer and simulating higher energy levels and dulling their shock. Super soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. The the super soldiers of the 40s. But obviously this is not a good thing now that we know about the effects of these drugs. So at least using exoskeletons to relieve pressure on a soldier while allowing them to do something physically taxing for longer is a non-lifetime bad habit inducing tactic. At least I think. But who (sighs) fucking knows right now because... Oh, same with anything who knows what will happen in like 40 years time we'll be like oh great they're all screwed because they're walking around with this exoskeleton we'll still be hiding from coronavirus in 40 years oh, yeah, just probably. you mark my words <laughs> <laughs> so, um, nah. there are like there are many different research institutions there are industry departments military departments they're all funding a lot of work into exoskeleton projects for various different functions Um, But they will all have the same basic makeup and the same issues. 
So I just want to just give a little brief touch on four main components of an exoskeleton. We're talking actuators, which are the motors to generate the movement of joints, the sensors to measure the position, torque and the pressure, the materials that are expected to be strong, durable and lightweight, and the user interface, which needs to be intuitive and have flexible control. So there is a great book chapter that I found that is kind of like a state of the art thing on exoskeletons. And it's actually from 2018. So it's quite recent and it's on open access. So I will link to it in the show notes. Love me some open access, man. But I'll link to it in the show notes because it it goes through like there's a lot of images of the kind of current setups and the different companies and, and people that are working on it. So if you are interested in what the current kind of developments are to that level, then go and have a look. But to design something sleek and smooth like Iron Man, you would need very powerful actuators. How do you think this kind of fares in terms of like robotic movement and stuff? What do you mean? How does it <clears throat> how does it fit? Just like as in how do you how do you think um do you think it's achievable with robots to replicate human motion? Well, I've seen the same kind of clips that everybody's seen and get freak freaked out about, but yeah. <laughs> freaked me out seeing human motion. Oh, are they but... the Boston dog. What is it, Boston Those um, dogs, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. I I have 100%. I think it's possible to replicate sort of limited yeah. range human motion, definitely. Why not? I mean it, That's the thing. Like there's so many advancements here. I mean, it's obviously still really early stages, but like the biggest thing is that our human motion is a bit more intuitive and flexible than what like a robotic arm can achieve with rigid materials, and I guess you would expect that. But like scientists are trying to replicate the power in our muscles using soft materials. Okay, and that can create more advanced motors, but it's still, as I said, it's still like early stage research. I did a literature review in my undergrad and biomaterials and I did soft actuators and it's fascinating all the different ways that they oh. are trying to develop and give flexible motion. And it's quite achievable. But in order to have a flexible actuator or have an actuator do their job of generating the power and the motion, you also have to have sensors in terms of thinking about like estimating what the positioning is, what the force is, monitoring the limit switches. There are even current advancements in human intention. So sensors that measure the electromyographic signals from human muscles to detect intent and then control the motion using computer algorithms. Jesus amazing there's even some but there's even some success in detecting intent from neural signals but that is of course highly complex and super limited for now yeah exactly yeah i think it's an area that first of all there's so much funding and investment so i think that the most incredible things are possible with this sort of um what what do you call this area i guess bio biosensing i think mechanics yeah biosensing but yeah i yeah i i have wouldn't put any limit on it yeah just not the flying i don't think flying is ever going to be a thing well so so this thing so one of the limiting factors then of course i guess for something like flying would be in the when you're talking about the design of the exoskeleton you're using stiff durable materials but if you're going to have human interaction then there has to be safety and comfort as well and in order for an exoskeleton to function for you to like 
actually do tasks with it. It has to be able to work in an unpredictable or an unstructured environment, which like a lot of current robotics cannot do because they're very rigid and you know they they require like really precision accuracy in terms of like positioning but there is a push towards soft exoskeletons and when i say soft as i said with them actuators i don't necessarily mean soft materials it's more about like soft motion so the ability to work in curves but we're a long 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 way away from an iron man suit because that functionality of it in the movie is 100% a science filter on <laughs> exoskeletons. I like that a science filter on exoskeletons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's it's I think there's a certain point with the with the um with his costume where it just goes off the chain in terms of like all the things <laughs> that it can do. Like even to a degree in the beginning when he breaks out, it's still even like when he when he starts to fly and you think like how on earth could all of that could he have enough thrust? <laughs> what is he using to get all of that up at that far? But okay. But one, yeah, there is a point where he has so many things that he can do that it starts to become too yeah. hard to follow and you just uh, science filter enjoy. Exactly. Um, it's kind mm. of nifty. But how about when inside the thing, the computer, like the perspective um, that they show of his face and what he's seeing that's kind of, I mean, I guess it's just a regular old display, like a, which we yeah. have to a degree in our, you know, navigation system in our car it can be put onto the windscreen for us as well to be able to like see navigation or see temperature or see time like on mm. the screen. So we sort of still have, we have some of that technology exists as well. But I found that super cool, it's not just the features, but the way his, um, the way they showed us what his face was seeing. I thought that was pretty nifty as well. And don't see why that is impossible either yeah that's true yeah that's the thing i feel like all of the components are not necessarily impossible it's just like the ability to be able to put everything together into something that is as compact and functioning as that is yeah. just and also that's why. where it's a bit ah! and also why yeah. what for well i want to touch on the flying because because you mentioned it and um i kind of was like people are like oh how is he I mean, I'm just going to jump on the idea that like it has some form of ion propulsion, you know, um, and I'm also kind of like, yeah, it's a movie he can fly. It's great. <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some movie trivia that I thought you might find interesting just on how they film these test flight scenes, because it's just I saw it in a documentary and I thought it was really cool because, you know, the way they always do that kind of stuff with wires. With what wire? Oh, yeah. Dangling on wires. Yeah. Okay. And there's this thing in John Favreau saying how like he was just really hesitant about that because he feels that like you can always tell. So they came up with this whole system where the wires are not attached to his, um, you know, to like a belt around the waist or the chest the way they normally would be. And they're on, they're attached to like planks of wood that he stands on. So he's standing on these floating bits of wood and then the wires are coming up from them outside of his body oh so when they're doing all those test flight he's scenes where wobbly. he's moving around yeah yeah it's his legs that are being supported so the wobble is real in him kind <laughs> of like trying to support his legs and i just thought that was really cool that they were like i want to come up with a new way to make these scenes look a little bit more that's hella clever I did I did actually really enjoy the flight testing scenes. I really did enjoy the way he was wobbling. Yeah. I sort of saw like singled that out as being kind of cool. Like we can agree that in principle the Iron Man suit 
what it would require. We don't have that right now. And it is a superhero movie. But we, as a scientific community, are developing complex computer systems, exoskeletons, flying unmanned drones, artificial intelligence, targeting systems, autonomous mechatronics, powerful hydraulics, smart sensors. And everything is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> I believe, Frida. I believe. Why? You just want, you want the fantasies to come to real life. You want you want them to come yeah. to real life. With not I just want to be able to turn back someday in the future and say it wasn't just a movie. I told you they could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just it's just about the why. Why would you need a flying suit um necessarily? That's all. I well, I guess we all want to fly. Well, the military would use it as like as a drone if you could as a person drone. Yeah, if you think, I mean, they already use drones. So if you could actually have a drone, have a drone with weapon systems, I guess that's what it is. But like, yeah, yeah, you'd only want the suit if you're just, I don't know, Iron Man. If you want to go and be there yourself. Be a badass. (laughs) But that's my, that's my take. That's my take on Iron Man. That's what I wanted to talk about for this movie. um, For the science section. Good stuff. Um, Yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's fascinating. But I don't think we need to go into any more detail um, for this episode. I don't think there is any more detail. I know that there is. (laughs) It's been long enough. I don't know how I'm going to edit this. It's going to suck. What I definitely will not be editing. What the What the What the fuck? All right, you ready? I've got my what the fuck. Are we ready? Yeah, Frida, please, please tell me what your what the fuck is. It's a quote. (gasps) Okay. This isn't working. We have to overload the reactor and blow the roof. That's my what the fuck. (laughs) I just have three question marks in brackets. And then my side one is that when they do blow the roof and blow everything to smithereens, Tony Stark kind of rotates his body to the side and somehow that's enough him to miss the entire explosion <laughs> all while pepper Potts is running around in heels still yelling Tony, Tony, Tony!" <laughs> that whole thing for me was like what <laughs> this isn't working let's blow everything up it's a science I, filter i oh is that a science filter it's just like plot device <laughs> yeah uh, we need to blow the arc reactor up for some How? reason and so we have to explain it as my what the fuck well done like it yeah what's yours what the fuck oh my god mine (laughs) i'm really excited about mine mine is not from the movie my what the fuck okay is terrence howard oh now uh, oh my god two things yeah i need to say something right okay firstly do you know what happened with terence howard so much has happened with Terrence Howard. Okay, well, he um, basically, he got paid more than Robert Downey Jr. He was the first cast member cast. He got paid more than Robert Downey Jr. for that movie. Uh, but apparently, like, all reports say he's incredibly difficult to work with. Um, so he got booted for the second one. They were basically just like, we, we're, not t- we, we're not dealing with this shit. But <laughs> I want to read you a snippet from a GQ interview. Yeah, go on. GQ question. You're a man of science, I found out. You filed some patents and are working with a company to grow man-made diamonds. 
Clarence Howard responds. Yeah, I went to school for chemical engineering and applied materials. I'm working with a company called SCIO. We grow diamonds. GQ asks, how's the quality? Terence Howard responds, better. Mine diamonds have a lot of irregularities. With a controlled setting, we can have tighter bonds of the carbon. I have some patents related to diamonds. Some are related to harmonic fusion. GQ, what's that? I haven't taken science class since high school. Terence Howard, it's zero point technology. Think about the one thing that's not moving in the universe that everything holds on to. That's zero point technology. If you control the one thing everything rests upon, then you control everything. There's no longer the laws of conservation of energy. It's the laws of transmutation of energy. It's alchemy. I, I'm yeah. really glad that you brought that up as your what the fuck because Terence Howard is crazy. <laughs> like, he's, he's nuts. He's really crazy. He's he said at some point that he has a doctorate. He went back to school and he got his doctorate in chemical engineering, but from a university that apparently don't have a chemical engineering program. And he apparently never went in to the university. So I don't know, was he given like an honorary doctorate or something like that? But he apparently made the statement on like a Jimmy Kimmel interview, which has now been like removed. You can't find it. Uh, is he still, so. I mean, is this guy still got jobs and he sounds like, he sounds like he's someone who might not know. be working much, but, you know, is he? Who cares? I mean, fascinating stuff. That is so crazy that that's what he was saying yeah. in an interview. Wow, I love it. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, that was my, I don't know why, but it's just like, I just felt like I needed to mention Terrence Howard. And that was I think it. that we did. And I'm glad you did. I didn't know that yeah. I didn't have an appropriate place to mention him, but I kind of want to mention him. actually. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad you did. Well, it's good because now as we move through the Marvel universe, we never have to mention him Done. again. So off the list Yay. we get John Cheadle in future yes oh, so good anyway as for Iron Man we have come to a climax final verdict uh, <laughs> lol hey Frida did the movie pass the Bechdel test no it didn't because <laughs> no, they did had not. a women spoke really twice did. and it was to be terrible to each other over jealousy of Tony Stark um, and yeah, also with the air hostesses and the dancing, it's just women in this. Oh my god, I forgot about that scene. The women in this the movie. Stripper pole on the plane. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, well, it didn't pass the Bechdel test, no. but did it pass? Here comes the science. Um, have you returned to us? No, I mean because it's so ball? like it's kind of knock. <laughs> well, the arc reactor, it doesn't really pass. It, it doesn't really like I, in theory it's this in theory it's that but it doesn't um it's really little and it's in his chest and um that seems like it's pseudoscience yeah. and then um th- there might be a basis of the exoskeleton but all that combined together with everything it can do it just it seems a little bit pseudoscience yeah. as well so uh no not for me okay well it kind of does for okay. me okay just because like it's you know there's 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 um there's a basis there that's that makes sense that like the idea that the things that they do in the movie are things that we could potentially do in the future for me i'm like okay well then i'm fine with okay. it um but uh we just can't do them now yeah so it's not taking any it's not taking anything but then there's there's very little movies we do that have that effect do they um uh, what's your final verdict for the for the movie in general I don't know the movie the science who knows I don't know what this verdict is anymore how many how many arc reactors 
Um, I don't know what I'm doing with scoring movies anymore, but I'm I'm just gonna <laughs> give it a three and a half, and then I'm okay. gonna give a lot of room for future Marvel movies. Hopefully, there'll be a five star in there somewhere. But uh, I like cool. Iron Man. I think it's a great movie. But like I said at the beginning, yeah. the more I pick at it, the less I like it. I don't want to be picking at a movie like this. I just like because it is got a lot of bullshit, but the charm of it is like really great. And so, yeah, it's it's a good movie. What yeah, do you give true. it? Uh, like like four, I guess. Okay. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite, but it might just be more nostalgia because it was the first. Uh, there are definitely ones that will come up in the future that, for me, are like just oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, um, right, that's it. That's that's Iron Man. That's um, our first twenty twenty one recording. But Frida, you have the next movie choice. I do. What, what are you What are you bringing us? I do. You know what I'm bringing you, Abby. It's the bat. I think I know. I think I know. <clears throat> is it what I think it is? Tell it's me. It's the batshit one. It's my turn for the crazy one. And yeah. you know what it is, baby. It's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be, and I was like, I was kind of pumped that. Um, That's it. I'm excited. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Lolly's excited. <laughs> I can't wait. Our ants really that big. Well, wait till two weeks time and we'll let you know. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I might watch it today. Okay, cool. Yay. So join us in two weeks' time for Honey Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> if you have if you time or if have time and the inclination, please do give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. We have been getting ratings and reviews, which is really cool. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening. And um, next week is our mini-series episode, which is Galaxy Quest. So do join us for Ak Ak, it's an alien. If you'd like to get in contact, email us on scienceofthemovies at gmail.com or catch us on Instagram at scienceofthemovies or on Twitter at movies underscore science. Thank you for listening and we shall see you soon. Well, we'll see you never, but we'll you'll hear our voices again <laughs> someday. Bye. Someday. See you never. <laughs> see you. <laughs> Never. Bye. That's true. See you never. I'm schwitzing. <laughs>